everyone and a warm welcome to menopause the good the bad and the downright sweaty i'm diane danzibrink and i am here as ever with the lovely sophie claus hello everyone so soph what's on today's agenda my love Today we're going to speak about menopause in the workplace mm-hmm. um, because we've obviously previously mentioned how many women struggle to continue their normal role in the workplace yep. if they've not received any help or support with their menopause symptoms. Um, there's a lot of women who walk away from their career mm. um, and obviously you and I have had difficult times our with ups our, and downs with our jobs um where I, I went part-time due to my menopause um fatigue primarily yeah um and I also changed job roles because I just didn't really feel and are you back to full-time now no okay um because I still struggle with the fatigue mm-hmm. and because we coped financially when I went part-time yep I've just I've just left it, mm-hmm. um, especially until my HRT gets more stabilised. Yeah. As I'm still a bit of an emotional roller coaster at the mm. moment. Yeah. Um, but I know obviously you've returned to, well, you're doing probably more now than you did <laughs> back before, before menopause, I would, I would say. Yeah, I mean, it was always busy, um, but it is pretty full on now. So I'm generally, generally awake by half five. Um, I generally start doing emails and social media around six. Um, and usually I, yeah, I kind of, once I've finished whatever the day's work is, so whether that's seeing clients, whether that's, that's so privately, so whether that's going into businesses and talking about menopause, whether it's a campaigning day, whether it's a writing day, a presenting day, whatever it is. And then I do, so I do, you know, kind of, again, I do stuff in the evening. So I, I usually finish by about nine, but I always say now that I am powered by HRT, passion, and a bit of a stubborn streak. <laughs> You've got some fire in you. <laughs> do you struggle with fatigue? I don't. don't. No, I don't, lovely. And I think that is partly down to... So remember that I am... Well, actually, I kind of had my, had my surgery anniversary um, in July mm-hmm. because I originally had my surgery in July 2012. Um, and I think now that... I mean, it did take me a while. You know, there's no doubt about it. It took me a good while to get my HRT right and just because there were complications. Um, but I think the fact that I've got not just my oestrogen, so as you know, I don't have a womb, um, and so I don't need progesterone, although I did have it to start with because, of, because I'd had severe endometriosis. Um, so if you're somebody who has had your hysterectomy and or hysterectomy and oophrectomy surgery because of severe endometriosis. Um, Our national guideline says that it's advisable for you to have progesterone, at least to start with, um, just in case there is any endometrial tissue remaining. Um, Because unopposed oestrogen can essentially stimulate that. So I did take progesterone for a while, 
um, and in agreement with my specialist. I, I think I took it probably for about three years um, and then I came off of it. And that was really because it was giving me terrible headaches in the morning. So I would take it at night time and I was getting terrible headaches in the morning. Um, so I think it's partly down to having my estrogen level quite well balanced. And I think it's also down to the fact that because I don't have any ovaries, I have testosterone too. And that made a massive difference mm, to my energy levels and also to my cognitive function. Um, How do you sleep? Do you sleep quite well? Really well, yeah. So yeah, I think my fatigue could be because I don't sleep yeah, well. Yeah, it's I, complex, uh, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm not even sure whether my insomnia is related to surgical menopause uh-huh. because I did have issues with sleep prior to surgery. Okay. So okay. I, I think for me... I think the fatigue, I, I do have a tendency, I've noticed, that if I feel at all poorly mm. or not myself, mm. I automatically default to the fact, oh, my HRT must be off today, oh. or my levels must be fluctuating. And I've actually stopped. I think it's doing... easy to go there though, isn't it, don't you think? I think for me, yeah, because it's Some days you so... just feel rubbish. Yeah, and actually, you know, I've felt a bit peaky recently, but it's mm. because I'm coming down with a cold. Mm. Um but I also have noticed, and this is completely digressing though, that in my household, mm-hmm. which is full of you know hormonal two hormonal teen- teenagers, yeah, and a partner that's potentially kind of coming out in menopause sim- symptoms in sympathy with me, I think <laughs> at the moment, um, that if there's any disruption in the house, yeah. I tend to have become the scapegoat. But oh people, really? Yeah. That. I think for so long after surgery, I was apologising yep. because I was a bit irritable. Mm. Okay. A bit was an understatement, by the way. I was highly irritable um, and quite argumentative yeah. and just really quite angry initially. I think angry at my body mm-hmm. that I kept apologising mm. if I had you know, shouted at somebody because mm. I'd asked them to do something five times and they'd not done it. Yeah. Instead of taking a step back and being like, well, hang on a second, they're taking the what's it here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I instead blamed, blamed myself. Okay. So I have noticed that recently. And also what this has done is in the workplace, where I would say prior to having my HRT balanced out, if anything went wrong uh-huh. or if anything was dropped or forgotten, I would automatically blame myself. Right. And be like, oh, you, must have, you mustn't have written it down or you've lost it or you've yeah. not taken notice of the deadline. When actually, now that I'm kind of in a bit more of a level state... You can give it a bit more perspective. I can look at it objectively, yeah, mm. and be like, well, no, I've not done that because you've not asked me. Yeah. Or don't blame me because you've not met that deadline. That's yeah. your, your problem. Or yeah. you've not given me enough notice. Yeah. And I've got my assertiveness back. Yeah. Which is quite nice. Yeah, absolutely. I think a few people are quite shocked because they've got, <laughs> they've got used to me being like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll probably forgot. Yeah. Because at the time, then I, I could have done. No, I think that's really, really easy to do. Mm. And it's also an easy pattern to fall into. Because um, when you do genuinely feel rubbish and you feel low and you feel down on yourself, but I think the thing is, is it's so encouraging and I'm sure it'll be encouraging for other people to hear that, you know, sort of you've started to get that back. Yeah, definitely. I've stopped, I've stopped doubting myself so yeah. much because I think when you're in the workplace and you 
do notice a difference. You notice that you're forgetful or you notice that you're getting more anxious about meetings. Um, or somebody says, oh, you remember that chat we had last week? And you look at them and think, I haven't got a Scooby what you're talking about. <laughs> and I just have this, I have this vacant look. And actually, there's nothing wrong with saying, oh, I don't, I don't remember what I had for dinner yesterday. You're going to have to fill me in. Yeah, and, and of course... And that's okay. And all that, all those feelings, they just compound the anxiety, don't they? Exactly. And then you sit there thinking, oh my God, what, what, what must they think of me? Because I've forgotten and they don't think I'm very good at my job. And then you just get more and more anxious. And, and of course, you've so got no idea what they're thinking. Exactly, that's another thing that you do. You, mm. you constantly assume that people are thinking something mm. because you're, you, you are wor- worried about mm. kind of your ability and yeah. you do question yourself suddenly. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that's been said to me recently. Just because of what's going around in your head isn't particularly kind. Just because you think it doesn't make it true. Exactly. Mm. And it's just about being kinder to yourself but mm. also adapting to, to kind of, if, if you are different because of menopause, if yeah. you do need to write things down more often or if you do find in a meeting or in a discussion that you don't remember what they said last week, then actually menopause or no menopause, it, it, it's fine to just say. Yeah, oh, just I don't don't remember. Just say. Yeah, oh, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Can you remind me, please? Yeah, and let's face it, you know, kind of, is menopause the only time you've ever forgotten anything? No. No. We but it can make for, you feel like... But it just heightens it all, doesn't it? It makes yeah. it all feel worse. And I think it's really interesting what you said about sleep, because for so many women, you know, sort of sleep is one of the first things that, you know, kind of goes out of the window. And consequently, that makes you feel fatigued. It makes you feel tired. You're not on top of your game. You're not as sharp as you might be. And if that goes on for several nights then you get into a situation where you're actually anxious about going to bed. Mm. Yeah, because you get into bed and you're thinking, well, I really must sleep, I've not slept for this many days. and mm. Or you can't fall asleep and then it gets to one in the morning and you're thinking, mm. I've got to be up at six. Mm. And then you start kind of trying to force yourself mm. to sleep. But trying to function when you are sleep deprived is just... Well, it's trying to function when you're sleep deprived anyway... Is tough. Is horrendous. Chuck in menopause yeah. symptoms on top. And, you know, there's, there's no wonder why people find it hard. Yeah. But I just think it's... What I have learned, it's, it's okay to be honest. Yeah. Obviously, I work in a male-dominated mm, environment. Mm. And I, I now just say to them, oh, I've had a really bad night's sleep. Mm. So just bear with me today. Mm. In the past, I would have been like, so, so sorry if I'm not quite in the room today mm. now I'm like no just bear now with me now you just phrase it differently yeah because you're more confident about it I'm not it. apologising for yeah. it anymore yeah. because actually no one's perfect well, no one's on their game all the time and it's not your fault no it's out of my control you didn't you know kind of you didn't plan it you didn't ask for this to be like this and that's the same for all of us you it know, just happens would you would you choose to be going through this difficult time? no you wouldn't of course you wouldn't but I think the thing is, is we do turn it back in on ourselves mm. and make it almost our... I've got to be better. I've got to do more. I've got to work harder. I've got to do longer hours, etc., etc. And, you know, as you rightly say, when you're tired, when you're fatigued to the last... You can't focus anyway. You can't concentrate. Yeah. But 
I think it's kind of half the battle, isn't it? You working out for yourself. I think the other half of the battle is how do you how do you relay that feeling? How do you have that conversation in the workplace? And of course, everybody's workplace is different. Some people are, you know, sort of the employer and them, that's it. Other people work for organisations that employ literally thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people. And it's all very different. But this menopause conversation, because it's so new... How do you get it started? So not that it's not been going on, it's been going on forever. But because we have more women in the workplace, because women are being more outspoken, because obviously not everybody either feels they can speak up or wants to. For some people, they want to keep it totally private. And of course, that has to be personal choice. But I think we do need to have some kind of steer as to how we can try and do that in fact at the weekend I sat down with a very good friend of mine who's also an HR consultant and she's quite interesting because she works on behalf of Mm organisations but she also works on behalf of individual employees so she has Um, both sides yeah Um, and she's you know kind of we've known each other for quite a long time she's seen me go through my surgery she's seen what it's done to a previously you know kind of fairly confident outgoing motivated person um and I think you know kind of for the people that know me I think it's been quite shocking Mm. to to see how it affected me but what's been really good about it is that it's given her a great insight She's experienced her own very different menopause to me, but that's given her an even better insight. And now she takes that into her work. Um, And she says very openly, you know, kind of in the vlogs, that probably as a younger woman, you know, she has probably managed menopausal women out of organisations. Wow. And she said, I'm not proud of that. But that's because I didn't know. I didn't have any clue about what menopause was. We weren't taught about that. Nobody taught us. So it's another whole area as far as HR and, I believe, occupational health as well. Um, Because she would have done it very differently if she'd understood. And it's the whole reason why I'm so delighted that we've now got it into the The curriculum. curriculum. Yeah. Because if she'd have had that little clue as to, do you know what, around, you know, majority of women, early 40s, they might start experiencing these symptoms. If something changes about their work or their productivity or their personality or their attendance. It's just flag up in their mind. Maybe. It's not always going to be that. We're complex people. Mm. But could that be something about it? Um, How would you recommend to a woman to get that conversation started in the workplace that if they wanted to call a meeting yeah I mean it was really interesting talking to her because um you know you know me quite well now and you know that I'm a big fan of factual evidence-based information but I'm also a big fan of the common sense approach um and probably the reason that Mandy and I get on so well is that she's very common sense about this stuff um and she said do you know what I think it's really important before you... So, you know, kind of whatever you do, don't don't go and talk about it when you're feeling 
at your most emotional or at your most angry. Don't mm-hmm. do that because we know that you're not going to have the most productive conversation. Um, but she said, also bear in mind that you going and talking about it to your employer might be the very first time that they've experienced somebody coming and talking to them about their menopause symptoms. Could be. Because it's very new for us to be talking about it in the workplace. It's been going on forever, but, you know, with more women in the workplace over 50, with it being generally spoken about more in the media, on social media, definitely. Mm -hmm. So she said, just bear in mind that, you know, this might be, for them, this might be new territory. Could Um, be in the conversation, could be a shock to them. Yeah, possibly. Mm -hmm. So she said her best pieces of advice were, if, if you want to talk about how your symptoms are affecting you at work, then go away, sit down, think about it calmly, print off the symptom checker, Mm -hmm. which is available at menopausesupport.co.uk, um, print that off, fill it in, and then have a look at those symptoms and see how those symptoms are affecting your you at work. And then make a list of how they're affecting you. But then before you go to the meeting, review it, give yourself a few days, and come up with a list of what would work for you. Possible solutions that could make working life easier. Yeah, so she laughed because she couldn't think of the term and I said solution-focused. And she was like, yes, that's what I meant. (laughs) Um, But if you can be solution-focused, what it will do is an employer who is literally all at sea with this is like, I don't know, Potentially ill-prepared. I've got no idea. The chat. Could, be, could be a man, could be a woman who's not got there yet, could be a woman who's gone through it and has had, you know, kind of a relatively easy passage through menopause. So he's not even aware that for some people it can cause, you know, kind of quite a lot of symptoms and those symptoms can be progressive. And she said, what I would do is, I would say, let's say that, you'll find, let's say that you're having really heavy periods or they're very intermittent or you're having to run for a wee more often than you used to, um, then, you know, kind of, can you, can your desk be, you know, can your workstation, wherever it is, can it be closer to the loo? Because maybe for that woman, she feels embarrassed mm. to keep having to get up for her desk and walk past the whole office? Could she be relocated, even if it's temporarily? Um, Could she have somewhere safe where she can store sanitary products? Mm -hmm. Because maybe she's using more of them. Um, She said, you know, kind of, if you are struggling with sort of the hot flushes, could you be relocated near a window? If your office doesn't have windows, could you maybe sit nearer the air conditioning? Or have a fan. Could you, yeah. Could you have a desk fan? Could you have a, you know, a fan that you hand hold? Um, if it's kind of cognitive function, which it is for a lot of people, you know, finding it really difficult to focus. Um, if you have a set work day, if there's any flexibility in it, could I come in a bit earlier, leave a bit earlier? So let's say the afternoon is particularly bad for you. We were talking about the three o'clock yeah. slump <laughs> the three o'clock on. low. Um, 
Could you do that? If you have an hour for lunch, could you agree with them that you take a shorter lunch, maybe 40 minutes? Can you have 20 minutes floating so that in the afternoon you can go out, take a walk around the block, get some fresh air, get some water, whatever it is that works for you. Wake yourself up a bit, have a yeah. bit of a jig around. <laughs> but so that you don't feel that you just have to sit there or you have to go and ask if you can do that. Mm. You know, can you sort of be offered that opportunity? If you're having a really bad day, so as you say, with, you know, sleep or with, you know, if you're feeling really, really low on a particular day, can you have an agreement with them if your job is something you can do from home that for, I don't know, an agreed days of days per month, they can be flexible and that you could potentially work from home on a particular day? Because just if a woman a woman may feel able to work but not necessarily get behind the wheel of a car or go on the train as a commute if she's had a really bad night where she's been up several times yeah the commute was a really interesting one Mm. because she's got a client who lives and works in and around London and the client's having terrible hot flushes and was finding the tube commute which she was having to get around 8 o'clock in the morning, absolutely horrendous. And you know what they're like, they just ran. Well, you have your face shoved in someone's armpit. Exactly. So what they did was they said she went and sort of put that to her employer and said, look, this is actually exacerbating my symptoms because I'm getting anxious about the journey before I get there because I know my flushes are terrible. And then you get there and feel fatigued before you've even started your exactly. day. So rather than her start at nine o'clock in the morning now, she starts at 10. To avoid the mad rush. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they've come to that agreement between them and the employer knows that it won't be forever. The employee feels that she now has some control back mm-hmm. over, you know, kind of over her day. Um, it's a nicer commute. She doesn't have the stress and the anxiety. It's a really simple thing. The then the company benefits from absolutely. it because you'll have someone that's more focused. Absolutely. And able to just kind of... And also in. she feels supported. Mm. She feels as though the employer... But the employer couldn't have made that change without the woman raising the issue. And, so, and we discussed, didn't we, that going in into that meeting with kind of solutions to the the problems that you're experiencing gives them an idea of what you need. It it prevents them going away and coming up with solutions that just won't work for you. Yeah. So it just kind of gives them those options so they know that that's the basis of, of what can make your working life easier. Yeah, and I think it's go into the meeting, you know, sort of knowing that you've kind of formulated this plan, but also expect them to say, that's great, can we go away and think about what parts of this, you know, sort of we can make work within the organisation? And also, if you are, you know, sort of if you are really struggling sort of emotionally and you think, oh, I don't really know if I'm going to hold this together particularly well, ask if you can take a colleague in with you. Mm-hmm. Ask if you can take somebody that you trust in with you who knows what you're experiencing just for a bit of moral support, you know, a lot of employers will, you know, kind of will accept that. And particularly with more awareness around mental health in the workplace, 
Um, very often there are advocates within the workplace or single points of contact um, who, you know, kind of are the contact, particularly for mental health. I don't really think that this has to be that different. Mm-hmm. Um, because as we said before, it's, you know, it's a win-win, isn't it? The, the member of staff, the employee, the team member, whatever, however, you know, kind of they're referred to, gets to stay in the workplace the employer gets to keep a valued member of staff, which it would probably cost them an awful lot of money to replace. They get, they get to keep the knowledge and the skill. Exactly. Um, and, you know, kind of it just promotes this idea of support. And it's, I think the thing is, it's really simple stuff. Simple things can make a massive difference. Um, but I think at the moment, because employers are they're playing catch up massively um you know some are running a lot faster than others and for those that are fantastic but it is going to take us a long time you know this is going to be something that evolves conversate the conversation in the workplace either hasn't started or only just has about menopause yes it's it's only just come onto their radar yeah it is it is starting you know as i said to you before i i go into more organisations every month, month on month, um, to deliver, whether it's delivering training to the organisation about how to support, or whether it's delivering a presentation to female members of staff about how they can help themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's definitely more of it happening, but I think we're, you know, we're a long way off of, you know, sort of it being accepted and recognized everywhere but at least it's a start but i think if we can advocate for ourselves um then that you know that has to be the way forward i mean there are some there are some brilliant resources now um the faculty of occupational medicine have a four-page document um, which i think we've mentioned in one of the previous ones and that's for employers and for employees. And employees. Yeah, it's right. only two pages each, mm-hmm. but again, really simple stuff. This is the sort of thing that somebody um, in the workplace could send to their HR department. And oh, just say, gosh. Oh, just, I just thought I'd send this on yeah. to you, and I'd, I'd quite like to have a conversation about it's a managing good intru- my menopause. Yeah, it's a good introduction. Um, and also the CIPD, mm-hmm. which I never get this right, but I think it's the Chartered Institute of Personal Development. Basically, it's the umbrella organisation for HR professionals. So they all do their training through. Yeah. yeah. And they have, a couple of months ago, they um, produced loads of, um, well, really useful resources. Um, they've produced a sample policy. They've produced leaflets, posters, oh, information for employers, information for women. So if you go to the CIP, well, go to Google, um, other search engines are available, um, <laughs> and put in CIPD menopause, it will bring you up all the stuff. It's great. Um, the TUC have some really useful stuff, and TUC Wales, um, who I did some work with last year, they have some really good guidelines. They have a toolkit. Um, so kind of look around. If you're looking to introduce it, it, either for you or for you and your colleagues into the workplace, there are some good resources now. And it will just get those, it'll just make having those chats easier, won't it? If you kind of 
have all the information with you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we have seen cases of women who have really struggled um, and, you know, sort of we've had a couple of cases go through law. Um, One of those has been challenged successfully. Um, But I think the thing is, you know, if menopause symptoms go on for a long time and they're debilitating to your quality of life and how you can operate in the workplace, um, you know, we do have the 2010 Equalities Law and the 2010 Equalities Law, you know, kind of it's it provides a lot of protection mm-hmm. um, and your employer does have, you know, a legal duty to you while you're in the workplace. To so make reasonable workplace adjustments. Reasonable adjustments, yeah. yeah. And the reasonable adjustments thing is the tricky thing because it's that's quite subjective. Mm-hmm. What's a reasonable adjustment? Um, but, you know, sort of I'm... I'm never, it's never going to be the place that I want to start is, you know, kind of with legal proceedings because A, nobody needs the stress. No. Um, But they do have a responsibility. um, And I think, you know, sort of, as I say, the more that we talk about it, the more they're starting to realise. So that that would be the second option if if somebody in the workplace has a conversation and doesn't feel there's anything. Yeah, I think it's really absolutely last port Mm -hmm. of call. Okay. Um, but as I say, it is. But it is. It there is there for if, protection if somebody isn't offered any support. I know that I came across a lady who um, requested that she could change her uniform halfway through her nursing shift. Yeah. Because she she was experiencing really bad flushes. Yeah. Um, taking HRT, HRT, but still actually getting flushes. Yeah. And she said, "Oh, I just." would like to change my uniform because patients were picking up on the fact that she was really sweaty mm. and, and commenting on it. Yeah, and that'll make her anxious. And that was quite a difficult conversation for her and she said she found it quite embarrassing. Really? Um, but were the they supportive actually, or not? They were, yeah. They, they said that she could have a break and go and change her uniform midway really? through the shift. See, and that's, again, it's just common sense, isn't it? And I think it's just remembering not to feel embarrassed or ashamed and... I think the conversations in the workplace can be difficult Definitely. because it's not like talking to a friend. It's not, no. it's kind of going across your professional boundary in some Absolutely. ways, talking about something so personal. Absolutely. I mean, Mandy made a really good point when we were talking um, because somebody asked a question, you know, sort of what if you know that your line manager is not going to be supportive and they're not going to get this? Good question. Um, and I don't really feel that I want to raise it immediately with HR. What do I do? And it was such a sensible piece of advice. She said, find the most sensible person in the organisation that you can talk to mm-hmm. and have that conversation with them. It does, even if it's your line manager's manager or just somebody on your team. Or a colleague. Yeah. Um, just... And she said, have that conversation with them. And if you then feel that you need that person to be your advocate ask that person to do that um you know it is it's i think the trouble is is you know we are in many ways kind of breaking new ground um it's new stuff but we have to do it i think it will get easier oh absolutely absolutely once those conversations start happening and there's more awareness in the workplace about how it can impact their female workforce then i i would predict that more companies would bring out different 
policies or guidelines a bit like if a lady is pregnant yeah where they do a workplace assessment yeah and let's face it we've had that for a long time and there are still issues there quite often people (laughs) don't refer to that but I can kind of foresee that in some companies that's what they would start to do is to say oh if, if you if you're experiencing symptoms and you want to talk to us then come and talk to us and we can see what we can do yeah I think it's going to be like everything isn't it there are fantastic employers there are good employers there are decent employers there are okay employers and there are bloody awful employers and let's face it you know kind of the ones that the ones at the far far end of the of the positive are going to be the ones that take it up the ones at the other end are going to be the ones that have to be dragged kicking and screaming but that's why we've got a campaign Mm -hmm. because you know, sort of some of those people are going to have to be dragged along um, because it's the right thing to do. (laughs) Um, So on the campaign, if you haven't signed our campaign petition yet, it's the hashtag Make Menopause Matter campaign. Um, Calls for three things. One is guidance in every workplace. Two is mandatory education on menopause for all GPs. And three, I'm delighted to say, has already been achieved. And that was having menopause included in the RSE curriculum, which will happen from 2020, I think it's September. Um, so if you'd like to sign and share the petition, you can go to menopausesupport.co.uk. Um, you can also join the Menopause Support Network, which is on Facebook. I had to think about that. Um, that's a closed group where you have to answer a couple of questions to come in. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Um, there aren't many Diane Danzibrinks who run a <laughs> menopause campaign, so it shouldn't be that tricky. And Soph, where can people find out about coming along to your lovely group and contacting us about the podcast, etc.? So for the Menopause Club Hitchin, you can find us on Facebook under that very name. Um, I'm on Instagram as menopause underscore and underscore me. Um, or you can contact Diane and I on hello menopause podcast at hotmail.com. We're also on Instagram as the menopause podcast. Hey. And you'll see our lovely faces. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we hope you've enjoyed today. We hope you've got something out of it. If there's something you would like us to cover, if you've got a question, then any of those options are good ones to get in contact with us. We love to hear from you. So please, please do do get in contact. And so we will wrap it up there and be back soon. Take care. Bye. Bye.